Hello, hello. You are tuned in to a brand spanking new episode of Tipod. And today we have an amazing, amazing guest talking about one of the subjects that we like to touch on pretty often here on Tipod, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion. So we have got the Rachel Lauren joining us today, and she is a diversity, equity, equity, excuse me, and inclusion consultant that does a lot of work, a lot of really good work, and it just matches well. And there's a great intersection with her personal advocacy. And I'm just really excited excited, to be honest, to kind of start the conversation, pick her brain, and get her perspective on how you can start to even more incorporate some of this DEI work into your journey and your company as a CEO, right? So look, you know how it goes on this show. Please go ahead and grab your notebook, grab your pen. I don't care if you're drinking matcha or kombucha or red wine. I don't care what's going on in your side of the world. Let's just go ahead and dive in. Hello, my friend, it's Tiana Tai, Team Dynamics Consultant and trained industrial organizational psychologist, helping you to become a better leader than your last boss. And right now, you are tuning in to the go-to podcast for entrepreneurs building and leading teams, hiring, onboarding, management, or maybe you just want some general advice about building your business. Well, let me assure you, you are in the right place. So go ahead, crack open a fresh notebook because you are listening to Tipod. What if finding your next dream hire suddenly became easy? Dare I say it, it is 110% possible. Enter my baby, Dream Hire Bootcamp. Dream Hire Bootcamp is your advanced hiring method to help you choose the right person for the right job even if you've been burned by a bad hire before. This program was designed because you deserve to hire someone who gets it, you and your business. Your company has officially outgrown your days of winging it, of showing up to those interviews without interview questions prepared, of not following a systematic, tried-and-true, research-backed process. No, 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 no. Now is the time to utilize a strategic hiring method and build your dream team once and for all. All you have to do is go to tianatai.com slash DHB and you can get started today. So Rachel, thank you so much for being here. Honestly, I'm going to like pass everything over to you. (laughs) You take the stage. Tell us all about you because from my knowledge, I don't think most of the people that are in the Typod community are in your network. So I think this is going to be a really, really great introduction. Awesome. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, Honored to be here. Um, As you mentioned, my name is Rachel Lauren. I am a Black life advocate and activist. I am a foster to adopt mother. I've adopted three children, um, and therefore I'm an advocate in that space as well. Diversity, equity, and inclusion professional. I am the head of DEI for a tech company here in Austin. The name of that company's favor, Delivery. Um, Think of it like Uber Eats, owned by the largest employer of Texas, which is HEB. Um, and then I'm, I'm one of three women who own the firm Diversified that you see right there on my screen. Um, and we are consultants for various organizations, tend to be called on a lot by nonprofits. Um, one of our most notable clients is DreamCorps, Van Jones organization. Um, and so we go in and we work on programs, policies, training, leadership coaching, all kinds of things to really embed DEI into the culture. 
Ooh, I love it. And I, I know <laughs> that the, you know, your primary, cons- uh, excuse me, client happens to be nonprofit. So that's really, really interesting. I'm curious then, ma'am, like what actually got you into this work in the first place? I find it really interesting that you do a lot of work in the tech space and with nonprofits and whatnot. So what has that journey kind of been like for you? Um, So I think what it comes down to is I've always been someone that wants to be a voice for the voiceless or for people that may, may not have the opportunity to stand up for themselves and voice how they feel. And so I think throughout life, I've found so many different ways to do that. It's what led me to foster. It's what led me to adopt. um, And I'm always like, I have my hands in just different things that related to community. And then you throw that in with being a Black woman in America and being a Black woman in corporate America. And it becomes kind of a who better situation because honestly, um, just working in tech, working in corporate America, it presented a lot of opportunities, I felt like, um, for companies to just be better. Um, and so I didn't realize that when I was raising my hand to assist with like training and when I was raising my hand to say like, Hey, there's something off about this policy. It doesn't seem like it fits everyone. Um, that that was essentially DEI work. And so I think throughout my career, I've always done it. I just didn't know what it was formally. And to be honest, a lot of people in DEI don't. Um, this idea that it's been around for 30, 40 years is a myth. <laughs> it has, but not formally, right? And so that's really how I got into the work. It was just almost like a side desk job for me until it became a real desk job for me. Um, and then, you know, the passion led me to to starting the firm. Oh, I see. So for those people listening right now who may still have that inaccurate kind of myth-driven definition of DEI and what it actually looks like in a real company, can you kind of paint the picture and set the record straight from your perspective? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, every company is different. Sometimes DEI lives within HR, which can be a fit for it. Other times DEI lives in its own um, department. I think it really just depends on the inner workings, the type of business that you do that determines what the best fit would be. Um, But diversity, equity, and inclusion is really, it touches every single aspect of any business because it relates to, like I said, how you retain and attract talent, how you um, shape programs, how you word policies, how you enact those policies, um, the types of things that you do from an engagement standpoint to make sure that everyone feels included, that everyone belongs, um, that everyone has access to grow within the company. Um, It literally, it touches the consumers. It touches, you know, if you're in that type of business, it touches every single aspect. So um, when I tell people, if you're going to invest in DEI, understand that it is, it's an investment that's only going to grow. The reality is as the world shifts, people shift. And as people shift, this work shifts. So I think that I think why I really like your response to that is it's such a realistic answer. You know what I mean? And I love because, like I said, we've talked to a couple of DEI specialists on this show just because it's so nuanced and the work in it is so nuanced. And earlier, I know like no one else heard this. This was me and you talking offline. But earlier we were chatting just a little bit about you know, the people in the Tide community, right? Entrepreneurs, small business owners, on average, our listeners have, you know, three to maybe 10 team members, right? So it's relatively a small company, but I've noticed a lot of ears getting perked and a lot of interest being had in how do I actually start this work 
from the beginning of my company, right? Like how do I avoid waiting until, you know, the proverbial S hits the fan or something happens or I make a misstep or, you know, somebody in my team gets harmed or somebody on my team harms somebody else, right? So can you speak to that just a little bit? I'm really curious about your perspective. Yeah, so I think what happens with DEI is that um, organizations, like you mentioned, will start and it's not a thought. And it's usually not a thought because like you said, there's three people in the organization, we all get along, we know each other, we feel included, it's fine. Um, but what happens is as the organization grows, there's a need, there's this like desire to kind of start to embed DEI and people are kind of not always ready to jump on board because it's a culture that you've created that people have now been a part of, it's what they've gotten used to and now you're trying to shake things up. If you start from the beginning and you think about um, everything that you want to build through the lenses of more than just yours, more than you know yourself, then you can start to really um, plan what your strategy will be once you have 20 people, 30 people, 40 people. So um, I can use myself as an example. As one of three Black women that are um, the owners of Diversified, it's important for us to have conversations about our blind spots. What are our blind spots in this work? What are some things that as we grow, as we um even contract consultants in to help us with this work that we need to consider, right? Um, as we're shaping and wording things, are we considering not just ourselves and the fact that maybe this makes sense for us, but for other people? Have we thought about disability? Have we thought about orientation? Like all of those things play a role in how people view the world and the work that they do. So it's important to start sh uh, shaping your conversations shaping your trainings, shaping your recruiting around multiple lenses. And you know what, you bring up a really good point because I feel like it's called a blind spot for a reason, right? We all live within our own perspective of the world and it can be kind of tricky to uncover your blind spot by yourself because it's your blind spot. Yep. I'm just repeating myself, but that's literally what came into my mind. I'm like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And that's why um, unconscious bias trainings are so um, popular mm -hmm. because the reality is all of us have a bias. Every bias looks different. And usually the bias is based on our experiences and unconscious because we're not necessarily intentionally doing it. Now, conscious biases do exist as well, but unconscious bias is such a thing because there are so many things that people are attracted to just naturally based on who they are. So beauty bias is a thing, right? Like you can have um, resumes and once you you know bring these people in, you are drawn to one just based off of your own personal attraction. That's a, that's a beauty bias. Um, affinity bias, like someone that maybe is similar to you. You feel like you can relate to them. It doesn't really have anything to do with the job, but you have a bias because there's an affinity there. Like these are just things that people don't realize help them make decisions and they shouldn't. <laughs> help them make decisions. Mm, good so. point. So I would love to hear, since you said, look, we run our own firm and it's three black women and we have to come to terms with the fact that we have our own blind spots and we're picking those out and having those conversations. Can we get some like behind the scenes as to some of the things that have come up for y'all and where you're like, who, maybe we need to shift the language here or the imagery that we're using or what have you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the first thing I'll say, and I, I need to shout out my partners, um, Relicia and Aisha, um, the three of us bring three completely different skill sets to the table because our backgrounds are very different. 
So, you know, I mentioned that my background's in tech. I was actually in sales for a very long time. Um, Aisha's background is in HR and in DEI. Um, and then Relicia's background is actually in media and PR. So when we come together, we're, we're able to make sure that we stay in the lanes of what we do really well and then, you know, kind of bring in the DEI aspect and how things will work. So we will have conversations around, okay, we're, we're coaching someone, we're consulting with a client on what their external presence should look like. And so I know how me as a Black woman would expect a business to respond to certain things that have happened in the world. But am I considering how other people would expect a business to respond? So let's have conversations about that. If you were a white male, if you were a trans a member of the trans community, if you were um, motherless or childless, like how would you receive this? And so we will read things and try to put ourselves in those lenses. And um, it really helps to have individuals, like I said, with these different expertise, because then you'll have Asia that will come in and say, well, from an HR standpoint, <laughs> this is why they can't do it this way. And then you'll have Relisha that will come in and say, well, from a PR standpoint, this is why that might not deliver the way that we want it to, right? Um, so it's it just, it works together for us. And that's kind of how our conversations go. But I hope that was a good example. <laughs> it was, it really was. And I, I like the fact that you pointed out that for your firm in particular, you're able to take more of a, more of a holistic view of it based on, okay, for the people in this organization, for the public that's receiving this information, for us as the leaders, mm -hmm. blah, 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 Interesting. Mm -hmm. I, I think what just popped up for me is, okay, if we have these blind spots earlier, you mentioned contracting out to get more support for your own firm. So is that one of the reasons that that's been really important for y'all just because we do still come with our own perspective on things? So maybe, I don't know. I'm, I'm just speaking based on what I'm hearing right now, but maybe if something was going on and you wanted to contract out someone who does specialize in trans community and wants to bring that perspective in, is that the sort of situation that you're talking about? Um, not necessarily. Um, what I will say is because we are trained professionals in this, I think that, yes, of course, we still have blind spots, but we are able to kind of reset and, like I said, take a step back and, and think through the different lenses of individuals. And that takes training and continuous work. But what, what we need um, when we're kind of contracting out is help, for one, because we all have families, we all have, you know, multiple clients as well as other jobs. So it's understanding our workload is part of it. But yes, there are certain people that will have to contract with certain expertise. So for example, um, we had a school reach out to us. I have someone that does DEI consulting whose background is in education. How much better would it be to bring someone in that's been in education to assist with that particular client and assist us with understanding their needs? I see what you mean. So it's more so the industry expertise that we're talking about there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because yeah. it does play a big role. Yeah. Yeah. When you say DEI, and I've heard this many, many times that DEI is basically like the undercurrent of anything and everything that's happening in our companies, then it would make sense that that industry expertise can obviously help a professional more adequately ask the questions about like, hey, did you think about this piece or that piece or that piece? Because for me, working with mm -hmm. entrepreneurs in the online space, our business models are very different. I have a background in corporate consulting mm -hmm. with pharma right? Mm, Pharma mm -hmm. and online entrepreneurship are, they don't even speak nearly the same language. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's the um, having to get over the foreign language of industry before mm -hmm. you can get into understanding programming and policy and um, the work that's being done. Like all of that does play a role in how you shape things. Like you can't be inclusive in an environment you don't understand. Ooh. So um, <laughs> it's important to get, yeah, it's important to get that, you know, that feedback. Even in tech, I've had conversations with clients around data compilation. And, and that is a part of what we do. But I know that there are people that are even more skilled at that, right, that see data in a way that I don't. So are there opportunities to bring those people in to maybe consult on some of those pieces? Right. Ooh, good point. So I'm going to put, we're going to put our minds together here. You know what I'm saying? So I've got my background, you've got your background, and I'd love to have a conversation. I think what people would really, really benefit from hearing a little bit about is just some of the initial work that can be done, right? So if we're putting ourselves in the shoes of, look, I am a CEO working from home. I, you know, became a photographer or a business coach or a life coach or this or that. Typically I work with service providers, but let's imagine that we are in that space building a company and we've got, you know, a virtual team of five people. What, where do we start, right? I'd love to take it to some of the foundational elements of different things that they can actually think through so that when they bring in an expert like y'all, right, they know they're like, ooh, okay, I can put my hat on that I'm ready to start doing this work because they have a good sort of picture of what this actually entails. Yeah, um, I think the first stage, no matter the size of an organization, is the listening and learning piece. Mm -hmm. um, we always go into organizations when we're consulting saying, we just want to hear, like we want to hear from the team members. We want to hear what's coming up for them. We want to hear what's going well, what's not. And even if you have a team of three people, it's important for the three of you to sit and hear each other, um, hear, you know, your backgrounds and, and things that you've experienced in the past that you might not have ever brought into the space because it still affects you in the workplace, whether you realize it or not, right? Things that, have, that I've experienced as a Black woman in corporate America, I recognize there are triggers. Mm -hmm. So I need people that I work with to understand what those are. So I think the listening and learning is the, is the, the first place to start um, with, with especially small organizations too. I'd love uh, to go ahead. Ask, yeah, I'd love to jump in and ask a question in response because I think that right there that piqued my interest, right? Because mm -hmm. a lot of times with DEI work, I got a lot of DEI friends and like the survey situation. It doesn't hit the same in corporate as it does in a small business because it's no longer anonymous. You know what I mean? So the idea of actually just having a conversation and listening and being heard is really, really appealing because I think that that's more realistic when you're at this stage in your company. So can we talk a little bit about that? Like, yeah, how do we open the conversation? What types of questions are we asking? Like, let's paint the picture. Yeah. Well, the first thing I'll say is when we actually go into organizations and do what, what you just mentioned, the survey, our approach is actually a two prong approach. So we always have the listening as well as the surveys, because this is diversity, right? This is inclusion. Everyone isn't comfortable in the same setting. How I communicate to you isn't the same comfort level as someone else, right? So I might feel better being able to explain my answers versus checking a box on the survey. Whereas someone else might be like, I don't really wanna explain, I just wanna check the box. So I think providing multiple forms is important. But um, to answer your question, I think really starting with a who are you is the most important thing because identity is 
a driver, right? In how you work and how you view the world and how you see things and why things are important to you. Um, and a lot of times we move, we move past identity. It's like, well, I've been working for this person for forever, so I know them. I've been working with them forever, so I know them. But when we don't give people the opportunity to tell us about their culture, to tell us about their race, to tell us about their preferences, to tell us the things that come up for them when they're in meetings at 5 p.m. or the things that come up for them when they're in meetings at 7 a.m., like when we don't hear about their life and give them the space to talk about who they are, then years down the road, months down the road, we find, we find that problems arise because yeah. we, we've assumed. So I think the first questions are really basic. It's who are you and what are the things that I need to know about you that drive you to be passionate about this work, that drive you to come to work every day, that trigger you um, within conversations? Like what are some experiences that you've had at other companies or in building other businesses or in meetings that we've had with clients that I should be aware of? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the the first step. I have to take a moment to thank the sponsor of today's episode, Primally Pure. Y'all, I'm not going to get too deep into this, but I've tried a lot of natural deodorants and my husband disapproves of 99.9% of them but not my new Primally Pure Charcoal Deodorant. I have been so excited to share this with you because I have been testing it myself for three full months before I decided that it was worth sharing. This is absolutely my hands-down favorite natural deodorant, and I've tried at least five or six brands by now. And even better, it can be your new favorite too. You can get your next order for 10% off by using the code TIANA10. That's right, T-I-A-N-N-A-1-0, and you're on your way to your new favorite deodorant. And hopefully your significant other will approve of this one. (laughs) Have you ever been met with resistance? I think you kind of touched on it just a minute ago when you said that's why we do two-pronged and we do the surveys as well. I'm curious, though, if you've ever, you know, done the survey, tried the listening approach, and there was still a lot of resistance because there was a lack of trust and safety in the team that, like, you went in to talk to. Do you see, do you see my question? Yep, um, and that happens, and I think that that will, will always happen, and people have the right. There are some people that are like, I'm detached and I don't want, I don't want to feel. <laughs> this is not something that I want to do. I come to work and I don't want to talk about any of this. Mm-hmm. And that's fair. If that's, if that's where they are, then you've got to allow them to be in that space. Um, but it is important to try to create trust and to try to change how people are perceiving why you're doing something. And so that's why um, when we go into organizations, we start off with, you know, this is what we're going to do over the course of this time. This is our roadmap. This is why these things are happening. This is how we're going to use this information. I think even when you roll out a survey, um, people do themselves a disservice by saying, hey, we're sending out this survey, please answer it. And not saying, this is what the survey is. This is why we're doing it. This is when, this is what we're using it for. This is who will see it. This is where the data will go. Like all of those things are important to give people that helps build trust. Um, and so being able to say that up front, but then also sticking to the plan that you told them you were going to do is also going to build trust. Mm-hmm. So. I'm smiling because we don't do the same work, but in terms of approach as a consultant, it's very similar just because, okay, mm-hmm. break it down for you real quick. Uh, when I work with teams, 
there's typically one of two things going on. So, and normally it's a combination of both where there's some sort of emotional trust element that needs to be addressed. And then there's also systems and operations. So it's both the human element and the, okay, the operations of this team just need to get streamlined, right? And so when we're engaging with the team, we often have to do the same thing where we set out the roadmap and what one, um, I was doing a team retreat just a few months ago, and one of the team members came to me afterwards and, you know, was just thanking me. And we were talking about her experience throughout the one day retreat that we did. And what she pointed out, I feel like it could be similar for you, which is why I'm telling you the story. She pointed out the fact that having someone external to her team, to her company, made them one more open, more honest, able to kind of avoid some of the unnecessary and unhealthy conflict that they had engaged in in the past because they knew that there was an impartial person in the room who would be like, hey, pause, we're break, we're breaking the guidelines that we agreed to, or pause, we said we weren't going to, you know, call each other out without giving some constructive advice, you know, those sorts of things. And I'm curious, has does that come up a lot in your work as well? Like, the fact that you guys can come in and be the impartial people in the room guiding these sorts of conversations. Yep, it absolutely does. Um, because, I mean, let's be honest, it's hard to work with someone every day mm-hmm. and give them hard feedback. It's not easy to do that. Yeah. Um, so I think that's there's there's that piece of it of like, okay, I can trust this because I don't think it's going to affect my working relationship moving forward, right? Like this isn't someone that I have to work with every day. So I can give them true feedback in the way that I would want to give it, but maybe can't. Um, so there's there's that piece of it, but it also, there's a piece of the organization investing in them and investing in DEI as, as, as an important part, right? Of what they do that usually makes people trust and, and see the value and want to kind of open up because they're like, okay, if they're caring about this, then okay, I can, I can contribute. So there's, there's both of those things that show up. Ah, so it's like, you're saying it as if the investment is basically kind of a trigger, a trigger moment where they're like, oh, okay. They said that they cared, but they kind of put their money where their mouth is and they're showing me actually trying to take action to care. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's moving past the performative lens Mm -hmm. of this is how we feel, but not doing anything about how we feel. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the performative lens. I, I, especially operating in the online virtual community, that's a really big thing, right? Is a lot of companies, yep. and I, I honestly, it's the same in corporate from my experience. A lot of companies saying that they care, mm-hmm. but the practices mm-hmm. and policies behind what's actually happening behind the scenes don't back it up. I'm just, I would love to hear your perspective on it. Yeah, um, that's true. And you you hit the nail on the head. That's the issue with social media. Mm -hmm. It can become a really great place for people to share what they're genuinely doing, how they feel, um, you know, call out things that the community needs to hear and see, especially, you know, as a brand, I think it's important for brands to make a stand and put their money where their mouth is. So it's a great tool for that. But then it also is a tool where people can create the false narrative of how amazing they are and what it is that they believe in and make all these statements. And then you also said this leaves the employees feeling like you don't feel that way. Like, because I deal with you every day, you have policies that are not equitable that don't support me that were never written to assist with my growth in this organization, but you're making comments about how you want an equitable community. 
Like that is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a double-edged sword. And so that's why I said when people make the, the investment to actually grow DEI and bring consultants in who are trained to do this and to see things, there tends to be, in most cases, kind of like a, okay, I'm trusting you a little bit, yep. some confidence, you know, in it. So, you know, what? I'll tell you this analogy I said on a training the other day. Uh, we were talking about just building overall psychological safety in teams, right? And so we were talking about mm-hmm. the difference between, you know, stated policies and expectations versus practices. And mm-hmm. the analogy basically in a nutshell was, I, if I assigned value to it, I will say your policy and the things that you state, I'm going to give you a dime. That's great. Every time you add a new policy, you set a new expectation, you say this on social media, that's a dime. Awesome. Every time you do mm-hmm. Back up what the hell you just said, I will give you a quarter, right? Because that it's part. both are that part. <laughs> both are yeah. and like it's important to have stated policies and expectations, but what are you doing to to show that that's real? Yeah. <laughs> that part. I mean, as an organization, your first commitment are is your staff, mm-hmm. the people that work for you. It's the people that drive your business every single day. So you can't be everything to the community that you work in and nothing to them. Right. That that is, to me, that's hypocritical. You've got to care about the people that are doing the work all of the time. Um, otherwise, it's a slap in the face because they are still a part of those communities yeah. that you're saying that you serve and that you you know believe in. So, I mean, even as simple as there are things that have gone on in the world that organizations want to pretend like didn't, right? Like think that it is safe for their employees to come to work after some of the horrific things that we've seen happen in our country and not address it or not give them the time off that they need and the mental wellness and space that they need uh, or be empathetic. Like all of those things, that's a part of your responsibility if you say you care. And you know what that just brought up for me is because I've been trying really hard, you know, my most of my work is done in the United States, but because I'm an online business, we have international clients and things like that. So I've also been trying really hard to broaden that perspective, like again, my own blind spot. And so earlier you mentioned just knowing your people on a really basic level, asking the simple questions, because for example, my, my guy, like I'm looking at everything happening here where I'm at in the United States of America, Mm -hmm. but how would I possibly know that something happening across the seas could be impacting my team member if I have Mm -hmm. no idea about the, the family dynamics, do they have like how would I know if I've never just opened up so that true. conversation? That was a click moment. So for true. Mm-hmm. It's such, so tr- and let me, I'm going to give you an example because I say this a lot unapologetically race is the foundation of this work. It mm-hmm. is the first thing that you've got to address. Um, it is that one outlier, unfortunately, that has so many systemic, <laughs> you know, issues that are seen not just in corporate America, but just in our society, right? Like it is the thing that we've got to, it's the elephant in the room. Um, what I usually see when we go into organizations is that people don't have an understanding of what race even is, right? So even having a conversation about someone's race and their ethnicity can't happen because people are mixing up race with nationality and mixing up ethnicity with race and not understanding what these things mean. So an example would be, I'm a black woman. You see me, you see me as black. You probably assume it. I will say it and I am that. But if you talk to me, I'm going to also tell you that my mother's Puerto Rican that my mother is black, she's Afro-Latina, but her ethnicity goes back to Puerto Rico. Her culture is Puerto Rico, right? So um, 
that is something that people wouldn't know unless they asked, unless I was able to tell them. And it's something I'm proud of, but I don't always get the space to acknowledge that and to talk about that. So then when things happen, like the hurricane that affected my family on the island, you wouldn't know because mm-hmm. all you ever thought was that I'm just a black woman, right? So that's a really good example. That that definitely hits it on the head because how would we know, right? Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that example because it it brings to life what you were trying to explain to us earlier. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So before, look, I love I love these conversations. I'm just like, let me just every <laughs> single question that's ever popped into my head. What, what have we not touched on? Actually, I'm gonna let you lead this. What have we not touched on that you feel like the entrepreneurial CEO needs to just have top of mind? Um, I think that an entrepreneurial CEO should have a statement. Like, I don't care if you're the only person at the company, Mm -hmm. you should have a DEI statement because that will be your guiding light. So who you say you are and what you believe in and what is important for the people that you work with and that work with you and work for you should be a statement that is public facing, that people that are coming into the organization can read and hold you to that you can have to hold people that might work for you too, that you can have to hold people that you decide to work with, right, too. Like that should be the front facing thing that you get and you should have, I don't care if you have one person or 20 or 300. Um, That is something that you can continuously look at and say, does this align with what I said my statement was? my strategy is, what's important to me, what the heart of this business is. So I I think that's where you can start. If you're like, look, it's just me, what do I do? Come up with a statement. Let me ask. And that statement can help you. Go ahead. Okay. Um, Because what popped in my mind, you know, just the work that I do, we do like employee handbooks and whatnot. So obviously there's like equal opportunity employer statement and things like that. But I have a distinct feeling that what you're talking about is something a little bit more comprehensive and separate. So can you Mm -hmm. give us like an example or something to help us break it down? Um, Here at X company, Mm-hmm. We believe that everyone should bring their entire selves to work. For us, that looks like what's the things that that might look like. We are committed to serving our communities through these areas. You know what I mean? Like that, that yeah. can be your statement, right? And so what I was going to say too, is that that then becomes a guiding light, not just for how you operate in your organization, but maybe the causes that you speak up about. Um, and the things that you support in the community. So if you've said that um, equity is something that is extremely important to you and that's in your statement, then what's happening locally that you can assist with? Like, what are some things that you can donate your dollars and your time and your expertise to? Um, So, yeah. Okay, I don't know. We do have a couple more minutes. So I don't know if I'm overstepping, but I'm really, really curious because of what you just said about how the statement should guide our actions, right? Policy should guide your actions. Ha ha, circling back to that concept. Um, I've found, and I've heard a lot of conversation and chatter around kind of, I think it's like this overwhelming notion of feeling like you have to speak up for everything, but not actually Mm -hmm. have a foundation or knowledge to speak up on it in the first place. So it's like, how do I speak up? Mm -hmm. I don't even know about this, you know, that sort of dilemma. And so can you speak a little bit more to how that statement could practically guide when you should speak up? I know that's a really big topic, but just a snippet on it, I think would be helpful. 
Yeah, um, I actually just had this conversation with an organization um, working to figure that exact thing out. What are the things that we will speak out about? And so that doesn't mean that you, because you've listed these things that when something happens internally, that like you have employees that you might not speak out publicly about, you're not there for them. Like that should still be a thing, but you have to define, okay, what is it that my business does? And so then how, what communities does that affect? What are some causes that, that we can support based on what our business does? What are some positive and negative things that maybe our industry affects, right? In, in the community, in certain dealings, and how can, I, how can I help with that? So tech, let's say tech. Tech is known for not being diverse. That speaks to equity. So you should be committed to the equity surrounding your organization in the community. How can people get access to your business? How can you change um, the knowledge of what you do and the jobs that are there for people that might not have grown in an area where they had the opportunity or the access to it, but can still do the job. How can you, you know, do things and be committed in a way that's going to support your business, but support them, right? So like, those are things, I think you have to have conversations about what you do, what's important, and then list those things out. And if something arises, then you decide, is this something that falls in that realm? Because you're right, you can't speak about everything unless you're Ben and Jerry's. Then you can speak about everything. <laughs> <laughs> they crack me up on the Twitter. <laughs> and you know what? That's a really, really good point. And by trying to apply it back to my own community, I think a lot of what I have seen and you know, push back, you know, give me your opinions on it. I think it may be a direct result of the fact that as entrepreneurs. Again, we have all of our blind spots and literally oftentimes for the first few years, we are the only voice <laughs> in the mm-hmm. business, right? Mm-hmm. So at a very fundamental foundational level, honestly, diversity really mm-hmm. is the very first one. I remember, especially in the online space, we'll, we'll have a lot of conversations around the fact that if you look at some of the top entrepreneurs, just look at their podcast, right? And see mm-hmm. who speaks on their podcast. For the majority of the top names in the game, it was people that looked just like them. Look at the conferences that we have. All of the speakers were people that looked just like them, right? And so I think what I've noticed in this space in particular is just like diversity in itself. Excuse me. That was my dog. Mm-hmm. Diversity in itself is literally the very first step. I'm curious mm-hmm. your thoughts on that. Yeah. So you brought up something that triggered something for me. in when a CEO and it's, when it's just them and all they have is what they think and they've been running something on their own, how do you have diverse thought? Um, I often ask people to consider your circle of influence. So who are the first 10 people, if you had a major decision in your life or in your business, who are the people that you would call? And you should think about, oftentimes people will list their mom, their siblings, their best friends, who, to your point, usually are just like them or think like them. Your circle of influence, especially when it relates to business, should not be that. You should be strategically finding people that think nothing like you, that look nothing like you, that have backgrounds that are nothing like yours, um, people that can mentor you, people that might even be um, not necessarily where you are. So people that are younger, Because you'd be surprised, right? Like talking to college students, talking to your children, um, they have perspectives that we don't have. So mix up those those 10 people, make sure that they have different um, education, different 
sexual preference, different access, all of that is going to help you think outside of just your own thought process and really weigh in different people when you're just by yourself. Okay. It's not that what you said is going to make anybody mad. It's just that (laughs) what you said is going to challenge the heck out of people, because I will tell you a big part of, and it's not everybody adopts this sort of like marketing technique, whatever, but a big part of what a lot of small business owners are taught is niche down, find your people who are like, just like you and what have you. So I don't know. I'll give, I'll give my own example. I don't care about being transparent. My marketing and business coach is a black woman, uh, self-identifies as Christian, which I self-identify as I grew up Christian, very, very spiritual, that sort of thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. local to me, like literally the overlap is very, very layered. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But the reason that I smiled is because I was just uh, talking to someone who's, she's basically a mindset coach. Right. And I've been telling my husband, you know, with everything I've got going on, I would love to have a mindset coach that would pair well with therapy and the whole shebang wellness, all that. And Mm -hmm. he was asking me who I would want to be my mindset coach. And we were having a conversation. I said, look, there are so many amazing people out there. I was like, she, I love her perspective on this, but all of them felt really similar to me until Mm -hmm. someone outside of my network referred somebody to be, I'm I'm not going to reveal the name because I'm not working with her yet, y'all, but they Mm -hmm. basically referred someone to be on this podcast. So I brought her on, had one of the most incredible conversations I've ever had. She is nothing like me. And immediately following that call, I went back to my husband. I said, when I hire a mindset coach, it's going to be her. And he was like, why? Why are you so sure about this all of a sudden? I said, because she had me doing backflips in my head because Mm. every perspective she came with, I was just like, this makes so much sense, but my brain doesn't even work this way. And I consider myself a very intelligent person, but it has nothing to do with my intelligence. It has to do with her perspective and just where she comes from has like, there's no overlap aside from the fact that she self-identifies as a woman, pretty Mm -hmm. much the only overlap. And so I feel like that is a perfect example of where I felt this pull. I said, you need somebody, especially for mindset. I was just like, I need somebody who can challenge my mindset, not just make me feel good about all of the things that I'm thinking. Does that make sense? No, it makes total sense. And, and I want to say that like having a niche, I'm not saying not to have a niche. I'm not saying not to focus on a certain, you know, consumer, if that's what your business lends for, right? There are things that I do unapologetically for the black community, period. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think that it's, it's important to do that. But when you have this um, group, this circle of influence, you let them know what your objectives are. Like, this is what I'm, I'm doing. And I understand that even in that, how you think about the solution is going to be different than me because we have different backgrounds, right? So you can still be very clear on what it is that you want to do, but be open to the fact that people are going to have different ways of getting to the end point and that might help you, right? So, yeah, I mean, I know even my own coach, many and her included other business owners who do have that very specific niche, whatever it is, her specific niche is I think it's faith-based women of color. I'm pretty sure that's how she describes it. Um, Mm -hmm. But I know for a fact in her circle of influence, it's all types of people. You know what I mean? So I think that that's Mm -hmm. a really great call out that we can still serve a particular community, but make sure that we're grounded in the fact that we still have diversity of thought going on when it comes to who I call for the, come on, come through, Rachel. I love it. Yep. I'm here for it. (laughs) Well, the other thing too, is that a lot of why people are like resistant to it is because 
truthfully, if we tell ourselves the honest um, reason why we're asking for feedback, it's to just confirm what we already made our mind up to do. It's not because we actually want you to tell us what it is that we need to do or give us your thought process. We're going to people that are going to make us feel better about the decision that we're making. And that's not going in the long run to make your business successful. It's not going to. And you know what, what you just said, you hear that advice from, I think it's more of like a financial and like goal oriented perspective all the time. Mm Because people say, you know, one, your circle is a direct reflection of you, but two, they say, why are you getting advice from people who are where you are when you should be getting Mm -hmm. advice from people who are where you want to be from like a financial goal perspective, but it is similar thinking in that regard. Mm, These dots being connected. I love this. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Well, any final thoughts, any last words you want to say just to the person whose mind has been exploded based off of this conversation and they're ready to just dig in just a little bit deeper, regardless of where they're at right now? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing with this work is I mentioned that it's ever evolving and that it's a journey. So with that in mind, understand that you just have to start somewhere and you can't do it all in one day. Um, the expectations that we have to set when we go into different organizations, we consult, we consult, it's, it's every time we have to do this because people get very excited and they want to see change tomorrow. They want to see things shift tomorrow. They want to have it all together in a week and, and it just doesn't work that way. So um, start somewhere, start today, take your time, build steps, have an end goal in sight. And it's okay if that goal continues to move because again, the world's going to evolve, but just do the work show up every day and do the work. Yeah. Amen. That's, that's our mantra around here. It's like, I, I love you, but it's not a flip switch situation. Do the work. I'll be here for you. Cheering yes. you. Let's go. <laughs> that part. Oh, well, thank, you, thank you. Thank you so much. I absolutely adore this conversation. I would love if you could tell everybody in the Typod community where they can go to connect with you and just like continue the conversation. However. Yeah. Um, so my website is the only um, my consulting firm is diversifiednow.org. On Instagram, I am at the only Rachel. You can use that handle also on Clubhouse and on Facebook. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. We enjoyed you. Thank you. 